You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans in NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with you on this Wednesday edition of Locked On Pels. We've got a little bit to talk about today, some fun stuff too. So we've got an update from the NBA. I'll give you guys what that is and how likely it is we see a return to basketball, and it looks like the wheels are in fact in motion, more so than we've seen for all of that. On Fox Sports, they are playing a Pistol Pete game tonight, which I can't wait to tune into as well. I'm excited for this one. We talked about him somewhat recently, so we'll dive into that. And then we're going to play the What If game. I did this a little bit on today's edition of Locked On NBA, and that's kind of the theme we hear on the Locked On Podcast Network. There are a surprising amount of What Ifs for the New Orleans franchise. I'm going to talk about one today, and I'm probably going to tell you a story you've never heard of when it came to the sale of the team to Tom Benson. So let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. So before we get into that, today's show brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. So we have an update from the NBA, and it sounds like there's been a lot of conference calls moving forward of that playing in, instead of a bubble, they're calling it a campus environment, which again, makes sense. This is the only way they're likely going to be able to actually play some basketball. And it sounds like regional reps for the Players Association have been reaching out to players informally, we need to stress, checking to see if they want to play a season. Basically, a yes or no answer to the question of, do you want to continue? And it's worth figuring out because if the majority of players have reservations, that could be a big problem. But then you've heard that LeBron, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, and a number of other big name players, like the ones that really matter, have all put on a united front saying they want to play the season. The owners should want to play the season. And you've even had a guy like Jared Dudley, who's very transparent and outspoken about all this stuff, giving you specific reasons why they should want to play a season, and it all has to center around money. So given that you have all this forward momentum, it sounds like the NBA is going to make a decision on this in the next two to four weeks and see how things play out a little bit more likely with a number of states and cities, municipalities, parishes, whatever, starting to reopen. And if they see a sudden surge in cases, maybe they back off. If they don't, then I think they're going to be okay with going and trying to make this happen. So we should have an idea if the season will eventually start in maybe another month. So you're looking at then six weeks after that. So anywhere between, you know, two and a half to four months before we see some real NBA basketball. But it does sound like the wheels are in motion for all of this. And it makes sense. There's just too much money at stake. Players' livelihoods are going to matter in this because if the salary cap drops and they can artificially set it at something, even without the revenue coming in, there's ways they can go about and do this that they still don't want the revenue to drop. You don't want to impact salary caps and contracts like that. And that means the players will get less money in the future. So even if a team is out of contention and has no incentive to really go out and play for risk of injury, 
your future contract and the degree that you get paid and how much you get paid might depend on you finishing this out. So even if you are on the Golden State Warriors, maybe you want to go and play this because you want to make sure you can earn more money in seasons three, four, five down the road from right now. So that's where it seems that things stand. The NBA, though, Adam Silver did say one thing that I think is intriguing. He goes, look, if we feel that if there is a positive test while we're in this campus environment that we're going to have to shut everything down, then we shouldn't do this. Or is there a way to keep playing and keep this going if a positive test does come up? And that is probably the $8 billion question, I think is what it comes down to. We'll see. But it looks like wheels are in motion to get some NBA back you know, in, in some capacity. And they've been for a while, but this is the more concrete things of like everyone's on the train, the train's starting to roll. So I think that is where I'm most enthusiastic about seeing some NBA basketball and the Pelicans back out on the court at some point during the summer. So we'll talk a little bit about Pistol Pete and then a what-if scenario, which is going to have a story you've never heard of before, at least I don't think you will, um, in the third segment. But today's show brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is basically the best tasting protein bar ever. We got sent a free box of samples of these things. I started, you know, I tried one. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Then I started eating them for lunch. And after sending me a box of free samples, I literally just reordered more Built Bars on Monday. They are arriving, um, I think, today or tomorrow. Tomorrow. The shipping is free, which is always a great thing. And I picked out a box where you can make your own flavors. I've got uh, salted caramel coming, uh, coconut toffee, and the raspberry chocolate cream. These things taste like candy bars. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. They've got eight unbelievable flavors. They've also got eight nut-free flavors. You can mix your own. You can get your own mix box that gives you a sample of everything. Highly, highly recommended. They're great for the health-conscious person if you want to lose or maintain weight while indulging in something that doesn't seem like that's what you're doing. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high in fiber. They have bars with 170 calories along with 20 grams of protein or 15 grams of protein and 110 calories. Again, I've been eating them for lunch as a meal replacement. Uh, they're great. You don't have to chug down like a bottle of water or something to get rid of that awful taste or the chalkiness that makes your mouth dry. These things are really good. And I've been digging these because they're just so soft, easy to chew, and taste unbelievable. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code, again, LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. So tonight on Fox Sports 6.30, they are playing a Pistol Pete game that I am very, very excited about to watch. We talked about him the other day. Um, this was the anniversary of the trade that brought him to New Orleans. And this is kind of a guy who's a bit of a like a mythological figure, especially to younger Pelicans fans who you know weren't alive, and I wasn't alive, to watch him play in the 74-75 season when he was here in New Orleans with the Jazz. But he did have a 68-point game against the New York Knicks. And this is going to be very cool because the NBA, uh, Fox Sports is replaying it. This game took place in the Superdome. And it's rare that you have unbelievable footage of this sort of stuff, but also just kind of like a great moment. It's one thing to watch replays of games that we've seen so far this season. We've kind of broken those down to death. But this is always like an interesting look back. And if you've been enjoying the Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, you know, you see a lot of that old footage from those seasons when they won the title. I was alive for those. I remember those very vividly. But it's still kind of interesting to watch how physical the game was, how different the game was played back then compared to what we see on a nightly basis uh, and hopefully soon when the NBA comes back to being played. So this is kind of one of those things that's cool. 
I really like Pistol Pete as a player. I've heard of people, and I've told the story here, how when he was on the freshman team because he couldn't play on the varsity team, more people went to watch the freshman LSU team play than the varsity team play because he was on that team on the roster. That's a really cool thing that shows you how special and revered this guy was here in Louisiana in the state. And I've seen clips of him. I've watched some of them. I know the scoring records from college, the no three-point line, but I've actually never just sat down and to watch a whole complete game of his. And frankly, if you're going to watch one, the 68-point game is probably the one to do. And I think this is kind of one of those things that gives us a greater appreciation for what we're watching. It's different. It's going to be very different. And at times, it's going to be painful to watch this compared to the modern NBA. It's why I don't really watch a ton of college until the tournament. But this is a pretty cool thing to see to kind of appreciate a player that doesn't really kind of get talked about in terms of all-time greats that, you know, probably isn't an all-time great, but it's not like he's not up there in some of these conversations and a guy who was certainly, certainly ahead of his time. So this is going to be really cool. I'm excited to sit down and watch this. I may or may not tweet out during it a bunch. I'm not really sure just yet, but we'll see. But this is very cool and I'm very excited to uh, tune into this one. And this, I think, is some of the better stuff that Fox Sports has done. The old games from this season are fine, but giving us some perspective, kind of giving us a bit of history on basketball in the Big Easy, I think is really cool. I can't wait. So 6.30 p.m., um, you're going to get some pregame stuff with Joel Myers, which is always going to be a great thing. So I'm looking forward to this tonight. So we'll touch on a big what if in franchise history in just a minute, but today's show also brought to you by Blinkist. Look, we're all stuck inside. You've got a lot of extra free time and it's nice to just take a break and lay on the couch. Don't get me wrong, I've been doing that too. But you can also use this time to improve yourself and I've got a secret weapon for that and it's been Blinkist, the app on my phone that I use all the time right now to kind of just do some self-improvement. You know, it can be hard to find time to read, sit down, and sometimes when you're just not used to doing that, trying to force yourself isn't the way to go about it. It's not gonna work. Uh, but there's an incredible app that solves this problem for you, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser, basically wherever you have internet, and it takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. This is what successful people do. They're known for reading. They're known for trying to keep improving and to learn more, and it can be tough. But Blinkist is a great way to be able to do it. My commutes in the morning, when I'm going to go back to that, which will be, you know, at some point, I'm going to go back to doing this every single day because I would listen to these in the morning and on the way home, and you can get exactly the kind of things that you need. I recently listened to the four-hour work week, which, you know, when we're all stuck at home, definitely something you want to be listening to. 15 minutes, you can get everything you need to know out of that. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books all the books you want and all for one low price. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com NBA to start your seven-day free trial. You'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com NBA. All right, so franchise what ifs? And there's a lot here in New Orleans, probably more so than like greatest moments and greatest games and all of that stuff. 
What ifs, I think, are the interesting one, and this is kind of the theme of the Locked On Podcast Network this week and next, and I kind of get excited about these because they're fun rabbit holes to go down. And we'll start with one today, and I set up to tell you a story you've probably never heard of, and that's what if Tom Benson doesn't buy the team? What if the team goes to the original guy who wanted to buy it in Gary Schwest of uh, Schwest Offshore, whatever it was, um, Edison Schwest Offshore, I forget. Anyway, you know, when you go back to when this was going on, he had been a minority owner in the team, something like a quarter, I forget the exact amount, and wanted to buy him. And he was one of the richer men in the city in Louisiana in general. And then the, the oil spill in the Gulf happened with BP, and that severely hurt his business to the point where... You know, $330 million, which is what the team sold for, which when you look back on it, like, my God, is that a freaking steal, um, became a little bit too tenable. And so when George Shin, the original owner of the team, basically just didn't have money and kept negotiating with Gary Schwest and they couldn't come to an agreement, the NBA stepped in with... Uh, what was all the assumption that they would sell it to Gary Schwest, I think, right in the beginning, the NBA and David Stern, Stern, who hated the fact that the Seattle Supersonics moved from there to OKC, leaving Seattle with a team was a big black mark on his legacy, didn't want that to happen again. So he wanted to sell to an ownership group that was going to keep it in New Orleans. And you had a number of the big tech people come in and want to buy it, but he wasn't interested in selling it to them because they would move the team most likely. So he wanted to keep it with someone local who would have bought it. The big one being, at the time, Schwest. But he kept negotiating and haggling over the price. I get that the difference between $315 million and $330 million is $15 million. And that is a fucking ton of money, right? But maybe to someone for that much, if you can't spend that extra 15, you shouldn't be buying this. You know, at a certain point when you're trying to nickel and dime things for something that's so big, it's not the best look. But Twist, the point, was literally not able to maybe buy it for $330 million. So this went on for months that they were negotiating this. And it eventually came down to Schwest was the story I've heard from multiple people involved with the team at the time and people that, you know, uh, who told me this. Yeah, 100% trust. And I'll leave it at that. Schwest was in New York at NBA offices negotiating with David Stern about the deal. Basically kind of one-on-one with some lawyers in the room. And again, he's nitpicking this, trying to get it for 315, 320, not willing to really pay the 330 that David Stern wanted. And we hadn't really heard any other local suitors for this. Benson had been brought up, but eh, it wasn't really a big thing. All of a sudden, in the middle of this meeting, someone barges in and is like, hey, Mr. Stern, we need you. There's a call with someone. You've got to take this right away. Stern's like, what could possibly be more important than me negotiating the sale of a team that the NBA owns and doesn't want to continue to own for $330 million right now? It turns out it was Tom Benson on the phone, got on the phone with David Stern, you know, while Gary Schwest is in the other room and goes, I will buy the team from you for $330 million. We know that this was very much, uh, you know, led by Ms. Gale wanting him to buy the teams that they own both to really keep it in New Orleans and Louisiana. So Benson gets on the phone. Yeah, I'll buy it for $330 million. We, we good? And Cern goes, yeah, sold to you. Goes back into the office, tells Schwest to get out. Schwest, what, what, what the hell's going on? Goes, I sold it to Benson. Sorry. And that was that. And that's how Benson ended up with the team. This is the story I've heard. You know, there's probably a bit or two got lost in translation, but that's more or less the turn of events that I've been told by people that I trust on this sort of thing and who are with the organization during this time. So we all know how that played out. The team is, is not leaving here. 
whenever someone says they're moving to Seattle, just, just shoot that down. I've done a lot of talk about that. I'm not really, we don't need to go into that. There's, there's no need whatsoever. But what happens in this alternate world where Schwest buys the team? And that's the interesting one. That alternate reality is actually the scary one because we know that Schwest does not have as much money and resources as Benson did. And Benson, while in the beginning of his ownership tenure with the Pelicans, was cheap. He was. He was a cheap owner. There's no other way of saying it. We've seen the stuff with the training staff, the medical staff, all of that, sharing it with the Saints, and it was a disaster. And they weren't willing to kind of invest in all this. Look, they weren't willing to invest in this, this franchise using a lot of the same ticket staff, sales staff, all of that stuff, marketing staff. A lot of people still do double duty, uh, which is not a, necessarily a bad thing, but wasn't really willing to invest like he should have with this franchise. And look, that went even through the Anthony Davis years. That's part of the reason Anthony Davis left. That's a story for another day. Um, but they started to now. But here's the thing, Schwest wouldn't have been any better for all of those years, and it would never have hit this breaking point where things would have changed, where they're investing money in this franchise like they should be, like this franchise deserves, like these players deserve, like these fans deserve. Schwest takes over, every sort of thing gets dismantled very early on and is kind of run as cheaply as possible, I'd be willing to bet, content for maybe making a run at the eighth seed every single year, and that's it, and not doing anything more than that. That's not what you want. You know, I wonder if they would have, you know, approved some of those first round pick trades, which maybe would have been a good thing with Dell Demps, but at least they were trying to improve the team and turn it into a winner. I don't know if you would have seen that given how cost controlled those picks are that, uh, and, and again, maybe this isn't the best point that Schwest would have been a bad owner, but I don't think you would have seen some of the things kind of done in the approach of trying to build a winner like they at least were doing, even if it didn't work out and wasn't a good method to go about it under Dell Demps. This team would have been as cheap as possible, I think, during Schwest's ownership with him ultimately probably needing to sell it after a couple of years. And then you have no one who would have tried to keep it here. Maybe Benson would have stepped in, sure, but let's say he's not not a potential buyer. If Schwest realizes he can't keep affording all of this and realizes he can get a huge payday and a huge return on his investment in this with the way valuations of franchises have gone up, that he probably would have sold it to someone out of state, someone who would have paid an ungodly amount, over a billion for it, gotten his big payday and been happy because didn't really want to spend the money on all of this. And that would have been a disaster. And that's how you don't end up with a team in New Orleans and a team in Seattle or somewhere else. And that's likely what would have happened had he bought the team and had the NBA been willing to sell it for under $330 million. Very, very good thing that that is not the case. All right, so that's your what if scenario for the day here. We'll do more on Friday and some next week as well because there's, there's a lot um, and I'll give you some more insight into the Chris Paul to the Warriors stuff as well. Um, so that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget, tell your smart device to play Hollinger and Duncan as well as Locked on NBA because that is one that I co-host on Wednesdays. We had a lot of fun. The Space Jam website is still a thing and we kind of looked at that and it was really cool. It's from 96 still. Give it a look if you haven't done that before. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter. Thank you to Built Bar. Don't forget Get go to builtbar.com, use promo code locked on, and you'll get $10 off your first order. And I'll be with you all back on Friday. <laughs>